Well, good morning. This is going to be a little quick little bonus because um, now we're just talking about um, the subject of meaning rather than being distracted by words. The reason why it's important is very, very, very recently, in the last day or two, the Dalai Lama, Tenzin Yatso, gave a speech. Um, and he spoke on this subject. And he made some jokes, and I find it funny that I didn't give it much thought till today. Or I have given it much thought, I'll be honest, but it, it ties into exactly what we're sitting here and doing today. So this morning we're just sitting enjoying our coffee, and I happened to come across there's this um, YouTube channel that is. <laughs> Um, not very Western friendly, but it's uh, LJM TV out of Taiwan. It's excellent because if you're a Buddhist, uh, they broadcast a lot of the the festivals and stuff. And then if you're uh, if you're uh, a fan of history, then you'll understand that some beautiful artwork made its way to Taiwan. Um, before the Cultural Revolution, so arguably a lot of this great history culture survived. So there was a suggestion on YouTube uh, for, uh, oh, it's a new video, that's why. They just put it up. It's called World Religions, Buddhism, Hinduism, Sikhism. So I clicked on it, I have an interest in, in all three. Uh, but I love this because we're seeing some artwork that may arguably have been lost uh, if it had stayed in the Indian subcontinent, right? And that's what I mentioned to the wife. I said, like, some of the stuff might have come from southern India, and what I meant was it probably made its way south during the Mughal purge or the push out, right? Some of it pushed north into Tibet. There's this great meme of, uh, of someone snatching a wheel off of a wheelchair, and, and uh, it says it's the Tibetan snatching Buddhism from India uh, in the... Uh, what the uh, the 10th century or so, right when the Mughals came in, just when they needed Buddhism. The, but the really what it was is it was squeezed out from the top and the bottom. So, you know, uh, and funny enough, in the Nalanda tradition, which was the logisticians, the Chittamatrans, the Yoga Yogacharans, they made their way north into Tibet, where we see the tantric tradition. Right, I was talking about this earlier. That Tibet, it's amazing. It developed their language specifically to record and learn the Dharma. They really did. Uh, and they influenced the Mongolian people because the Mongolian Khan, pardon my memory, I can't remember which, it was in one of my podcasts if you want to go back and listen. Uh, one of the, uh, the, the Khans, the Mongolian Khans, this is prior to the great dynasty in China that was ruled by the Mongols, They'd actually asked the, the Tibetans to create a language for them. So arguably, once again, their language based to uh, very specifically share the Dharma, share the teachings of Buddhism. So, where am I at today? I was actually watching this video. has some beautiful artwork. Uh, thankfully, they did an excellent job on the subtitles because now that I've been learning Chinese, I understand that... You and this is why it's slow because I've been trying to learn the characters because I just explained yesterday that the same word to our ears, Gong Fu, is actually two completely different characters 
if it's meaning the Quado, uh, the short koan that we mentioned, kind of like gong on, the koan, gong on, gong, same first character, same first sound, not the same character, right? Gong fu as a martial way, a martial art, very different character, much, much different. So here I'm listening to this um, little documentary on the artwork talking about, you know, Buddhism and Sikhism, Hinduism. Uh, it's currently just mainly talking about Buddhism. And they mention the triple gem, right? Because there are some words that I think, for example, Samyak uh, Sambodhi, uh, Anatara Samyak Sambodhi, um, is translated almost right to... Uh, Chinese. Other words like I've mentioned Bodhidharma is Potidamo, but they just call them Damo, right? Which is so common, most um, Chinese practitioners don't even know uh, Potidamo, they only know them as Damo. Not dissimilar in Japan, um, where I found out they call him Daruma, but he's actually Bodhidharma or something like that, right? It's his full name, so it's not dissimilar. But again, a lot of this flowed from China. But again, my confusion comes in, okay? Because we just looked up a few things. Uh, let me just undo some closed tabs here. Yeah, we just looked up Yang, which can be a name or it can be a popular poplar tree. Um, but we looked up, most importantly, we looked up Shirt. Shirt, which can be uh, generation, affair, strength. Well, we use it for often the character that is a solid line at the bottom with a... Uh, well, think of it like a flagpole. So a solid line at the bottom with a, a line that goes straight up and then kind of a, a cross. So I guess I should say more like a, a ship's mast. So it's kind of like a cross with a, with a base. And that, sure, is color. So here we're watching this World Religions out of Taiwan and we're just had watched the Dalai Lama talking about a language... Uh, for sharing and understanding the meaning and the message of Buddhism. And he said English, oh, no, 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 not suited. And I would agree, because as I've explained before, we get fixated ourselves, but also the language does leave, leave something wanting. But more so, what he hit next would be the same for English, but he mentioned modern Hindi. He's like, eh, no, exactly. I would say modern English, because you could use English if you understood multiple definitions of different words, right? Right, that's the important thing, because if you look at the Pali and the Sanskrit tradition, um, words had multiple meanings, or you very easily could compound them to get a much more deeper direct meaning, right? And what do I mean by this? What I mean is the triple gem in Chinese, fo fa her. Alright, so like, like I said, the, the shirt um, can be, of course, the sifu shirt, shifu, shifu, right? Shifu, right? Which could also be a puda or a. I mean, it's really confusing. Sorry, it can be a, a monk, right? Which is teacher of the Dhamma, right? But 
or a, a Buddha. Shva, Shvo. It's weird. For Buddha, Fa, Dharma, Shur, Sangha. So now it's teacher, it's, it's to try, it's to suit, it's decoration, it's persimmon. Right? Definitely not well suited to share these teachings, I would say. So, I find it uh, interesting that Buddhism did survive for so long. And at the same time, uh, it explains why it is so incredibly twisted. Even if you take out um, how it was... modernized for um, the mainland and blended with some of the other cultural stuff. So even if you ignore what's happened in the last 50 years, you can actually understand based on how vague the teachings are, all you have to do is go take a look. Actually, Berkeley is a great example. So the Berkeley Monastery, which, by the way, I think it's just a church that they took over. It's been operating since the 60s. It's actually started by a Chinese Buddhist, Xuan uh, Hua. And uh, don't recommend you follow the gentleman. They do consider him a bodhisattva. A bodhisattva in the Chinese pantheon is someone who's enlightened, but originally it just meant someone who's dedicated their lives. Great person, sattva. Bodhi devoting themselves to this enlightened mind. But this gentleman suffered from the same trappings of many of the Chinese cultural norms, and he very much hated homosexuality and other stuff like that. Um, so not the best example of this, but what I'm getting at here is that you could go to the Berkeley Monastery, and they do do an English and a Chinese ceremony, so you can actually see what the translation is. So you don't even have to listen to the, uh, the ceremony because they'll have a link to their liturgy. It's a book of their morning and evening ceremonies and their chants. And you'll actually be able to see the, both the Chinese and the English, but more importantly, the Chinese characters. And what you can do in that, and I've seen this myself, I find at first, when I was first learning Chinese, uh, the language, uh, listening for it, but then I started paying attention to the characters because You'll hear the same thing. In fact, this is what started this. Uh, she was speaking and she said, sure, sure, more than once, right? So I made the joke to the wife, like, what is she saying? Like, is she saying, you know, it could be a million things she's actually saying, but it's all contextual, obviously. And that's why I praised the uh, person that did the, the subtitles, because I would not want to try to figure out what she was saying, right? Full flusher. Yeah, if you're talking about, you know, she, just before she said, uh, they symbolize the Buddhist triple gems, full, full flusher. So that you can pretty much guess. But if sure it can be teacher, if, if it can be way, if it can be community, because it can be city, as I said. So there's where the shirk comes in as it can be sangha. But it doesn't differentiate between shramana and lay people, non-believers, non-followers. Right, so there. Confusion. Sangha was supposed to be. In fact, I'm doing a course on um, enlightening the Buddhist uh, scriptures, sutras, suttas. Um, that's important. I mean, it was even a whole section was learning not just about the triple gem, but learning 
Sangha itself, right, and what it represents to Buddhism. Right? So it's an important concept that is, I mean, arguably immediately lost. Right? So what was my point? Yeah, so you can go and look at the liturgy, for example, from the Berkeley Monastery. You can not only see arguably how cringy the language is when they talk about, you know, um, just you'll read it and you'll see. It's very cringy with the translation to English. It's really, really weird. But what becomes even weirder is you'll see, and they do a good job, by the way, of um, writing not what we have is, there's a di couple different ways that we write in the West uh, how to sound out Chinese. They do a good job of that. Um, and what you'll see is you'll hear the same sounds over and over again, but you'll see different characters for each. Right? Which is fine if you're reading. But as I've come into uh, contact with a number of uh, native speakers and readers, they even have a hard time reading some of these characters themselves. So, if you need to be able to read the character to get the actual meaning, then there's a lot lost. But, if you're even unable to get the meaning from the characters because of maybe 15 different ways to write it, and uh, arguably I haven't even gone into the truth that one character could mean multiple things. And they do. Because the difference between traditional and simplified is night and day, and the meanings arguably have been lost. Right? So what am I getting at here? <laughs> it's simply amazing to me how we are so limited by everything we, we use, all of our tools, our language, our mind, even our own physicality is so limited, right? Unable to sit, unable to concentrate, unable to conceptualize this idea. And most importantly, we're unable to even understand because we're not able to express it. I mean, it's funny because they joke that Zen is outside of, of, of words. They talk about even the way, the teaching itself. It is, because you have to get past the conceptual mind, but at the same time, there's, there's two truths in that. One, that the teaching is being mired in the words, and our egos allow it to be, right? When it's this, it's that beautiful, pure, childlike mind that allows one to truly see the meaning in the words. I mean, there's even a course I was considering taking that's about, you know, creative thinking, which, which arguably we all need to take advantage of. If we're trying to learn a new concept that is so foreign to us, especially in these cases, either foreign as habit or normal function of everyday life or foreign as far as culture, we can't look at it from this duality-based mind or from a Buddhist perspective, this uh, latent impression-laden mind, pardon the pun. This uh, storehouse consciousness that we've built up, rather, whether this existence or 
previous, whether you believe. Right? This gets me back to my original belief that, gosh, it's, it's exactly why the Buddha sat for a week after his uh, awakening experience. Because it's not just our own ego as a barrier to understanding. It's, it's not just our own selfishness. It's just not... It's, gosh. It even gets down to our language or just how we listen and how we understand. Right? So, arguably, my whole point here is you, you got to really pay attention to the meaning and the message and everything. Right? Intention is what matters, but we have to be reminded of the limitations, which reminds me of the great Chan um, concept of the great doubt, which I just spoke of recently. Right? It's this great doubt that we're seeing again. Right? You must retain that great doubt, which allows you to see through these veils, these barriers, right? We talked about barriers to experiencing Zen. And once again, language gets in the way. But again, arguably, is it us? Is it language? Is it culture? Is it bias? Is it ego? Is it all of it? So it's our job with discernment to try to find um, the best way to work around this. Uh, too often we'll see ego and self-interest get in the way. So, like I said, I, I, I keep falling back on this individual pursuit. Right? It was always a Pacheca, Pacheca Buddha, uh, in a sense, not truly, obviously. And following a little more individual path, I find um, just a compassion for others in this day and age, as a recent book published by the Dalai Lama says, is trying to find compassion in troubled times. It is, of course, the goal, but it is one of the most difficult things. And I'm starting to see not so much the selfishness in, in the, the Pali tradition, but arguably the simplicity. Now, I'm not a subscriber, once again. I do not go in for any labels whatsoever, but I find myself stepping away from a bodhicitta vow type path, right? The Samantabhadra vow. That's not for me, I feel. I feel uh, my first goal is to achieve an understanding and hopefully an awakening from that for myself. Spent uh, a lot of time trying to help others. And uh, this has just uh, been to my own detriment. So we've talked about this before. It's selfless but not at one's own expense. That's the idea. So, again, thinking about the bodhicitta. But on that, we'll leave it. So have yourself an awesome day. Um, yeah, so, simply wanted to tie this whole idea up. Dalai Lama was talking about language and which was more, you know, useful. I argue they all will fail because they're all human-based, conditional-based. 
right? So again, words fail, um, and it's not the words, right? It's just too hard to get that meaning across. Remember, we're all arguably living within our own little cells inside or making funny noises trying to communicate with each other. So we're all kind of at a disadvantage here. And as soon as we have that great doubt, great doubt of our ability to share this meaning and message, make ourselves understood, really connect with, with another, till we realize how difficult, near impossible that may be. Um, maybe that's what we all need. Maybe that's what the Buddha didn't think was possible, that we could all really start to see things that way. But, so on that, I'll leave it. hope you have a wonderful weekend. And here's to uh, a new week ahead and a new day ahead. Uh, Namo Amitabha. All right, just to uh, highlight this, because I know I said, hey, go take a look, but lo and behold, here's Berkeley, live, Doing it Chinese, Yao Shi Fo. There's an example, Yao Shi Fo. That means uh, the medicine Buddha. So, but I'm not going to go into that. I'm just going to give you an example. So, So that's Namo, great pure sea-like assembly of bodhisattvas. So here's our confusion. So unlike, say, Suzuki or even better, Red Pine, or just honestly what would be intelligent here, rather than translate from as many sources as you can get, what we're doing is translating directly from the Chinese to English. The reason why that fails is I recognize this as simply a common expression of an ocean-like assembly, right? That is much more an English-type idea, right? A vast... Right? So we have Sanskrit to Tibet to Chinese to English, right? When we've already seen, when you go back and look and compare the Sanskrit and say the Tibetan, if you can, and, and get the meaning, right? And go, Namo, great pure sea like assembly. Well, that's, yeah, right? Right, like... Some of the stuff they throw in just gets weirder still, though, because the next line is Namo Dharma Guardian Wedo Venerated Deva Bodhisattva. Okay, well, that's 100% a Chinese edition. Wedo is known as a, a guardian deity. Uh, arguably, <laughs> something came from Taoism, but they consider him as a, a great general who... Uh, became uh, vowed like this is the bodhisattva, right? The original definition that a great person vowed them themselves uh, to be a guardian of the Dharma and this realm. Uh, and it goes on, it talks about devas, which is really quite weird. Uh, and then... Uh, oh yes, yeah, sorry, the last one was a great... Holy Kanara King Bodhisattva. Sorry, I got a little lost. <laughs> See, exactly my point. The wife pointed it out. When she started practicing, she looked at the English, and arguably the English translation we were given was even better than this. Because <clears throat> um, I think they actually worked on it a little bit better. But reading it in the English still did the opposite. It pulled you out. That's what I was 
going down to that last line because that's what I said to the wife. She said, yeah, I found it hard to follow because of the English. So she started just doing the, the Chinese because it's perfect, right? Because the mantras, the chanting, all of this is strictly to tie up that mind, that great doubt, right? But for me, it's the opposite of great doubt because if I'm here chanting... And I might say, Nam on Da Shangjin, Long Pas, Wang Pursa, right? Wang meaning king, but it could mean a million other things, right? Wang Pursa, which is a great uh, Bodhisattva. I mean, you know, but king Bodhisattva, I wouldn't have translated it as king. It could be emperor as well. But they chose king, I would say great, right? The great Bodhisattva, right? Or, I mean, gosh, you could say Maha. I mean, they actually keep that directly. Maha. Sattva. But for me, reading this Namo great holy Kanara king Bodhisattva, it just brings me right back to the conditional mind going, who's this holy Kanara king? Right? I don't know. So that was my uh, final addition here is the real problem is if we're supposed to be tying up the conditional mind, why do we throw so much at the conditional mind that it needs to untie for us to even comprehend these meanings? Or, as I said before, it's the ego that's convoluting this, because really, why would they choose this as what they're... uh, Like, every day they're reciting this. And never once does someone go, you know, that's kind of pretty awkward. You know, we should probably adjust that so it doesn't yank people out of this focus that we're all striving for, right? So again, namo.